Well, what's up, church? Um, when I was a kid, uh, my dad, he would go on trips and stuff like that for work, and he'd have to go out of town for different things. And whenever he would come back, what he would always do, he would always bring um, a, some little present or some little gift for me and my sisters. Anybody else's parents ever do? Okay, so a few, a few of us. Um, the, uh, and so when he would come back from, from a big, long trip, maybe he's gone for a week or whatever, you know, we'd be excited, like, okay, dad's finally coming back, you know, that type of thing, like, things are finally going to get back to normal. Um, but when he would walk in through the door, you know, as a kid, you'd give the obligatory hug, like, oh, nice to see you, dad. But then you'd be like, what'd you get us? You know what I mean? Anybody of you guys like that? Maybe you're like that on Christmas morning where you're just like, hey, all right, good to see you guys. All right, let's go to the gifts. Like, let's, start, let's start opening some stuff up. All right, let's, let's get this going. Um, it's kind of funny that, uh, you know, that's kind of how, that's how I treated my dad. And that's what I was thinking as a kid that's kind of instilled within us, I guess, um, even now. Um, even today, I got, you know, now I'm all grown up and I have my own kids and I have to go out of town for work and I have to go on some trip. And when I come back, I try to do the same thing. That's just how I grew up. And so what I'll do is I'll go buy some little, you know, cheap present type thing. It's nothing big. And I'll have that in my suitcase or whatever. And I'll come home and, uh, you know, my kids, they're excited to see me as I walk in through the door. I'll be like, oh, hey, dad. Okay, okay. Hey, dad, what'd you get us? Like, that's the first thing. And, you know, as a dad, you're just like, man, these kids don't even care about me. They just want my, they just want the stuff. Um, what's kind of funny about that is, well, I don't know if this is funny. What's interesting is that I feel like we treat God the same way. Where we treat God almost, I mean, sometimes we treat God as even like an employee, you know, of ours. Like, like we boss him around. It's like, hey, God, I need you to come over here. I need you to take care of this situation. Then I need you to fix that over there. Then I need you to go get me this. All right, can you do that this morning? You know, can you, it's just we have all this stuff that we, you know, we view God as someone who's almost like our errand boy for us. And we even do this when we pray, right? Like, if you're like me, we just kind of find ourselves doing this. We're like, hey, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Okay, now that I got that out of the way, um, hey, God, what do I get and how do I get it, all right? I need you to take care of some of this stuff in my life. I need some more stuff. And so what we do is, it's almost like a lot of us, we have made this um, deal, let's call it, with God that's just something that's made up in our own minds, where for us it's like, hey, if I follow the rules, and if I do the good stuff, and if I do whatever you tell me to do, and if I'm a good person, then you owe me fill in the blank. You know, then you need to do this for me. And what we end up doing in our minds is our relationship with God really revolves around what can we get from him? How do I use God to get what I want? And what we're going to find out today is that that doesn't work. And uh, that's not how a relationship with God should work. In fact, if that's you, and, and I think all of us, we do this to a certain extent, but if that's you and, and you're like, you know, that's how you view God and that's how, you know, your relationship with God works, like if you dig down below the surface and you realize it's actually you, I would question, you know, in fact, maybe you don't even have one. Maybe your relationship with God that you think you have, maybe that doesn't even exist. Maybe it's not even real. And so uh, that's what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, the last few weeks, we've been going through the book of John, which is probably the most famous book in the entire Bible. John um, has a unique relationship with Jesus in that John was like Jesus's best friend. Okay, so they're tight, they're close. John was one of Jesus' disciples. And so what John does is he documents uh, Jesus' life. And we've been talking, we've been going through John in the first five chapters, and we've been talking about the beginning of Jesus' like three-ish year ministry. 
and where he's traveling around, he's talking to people, he's revealing um, kind of who he is, that he's the Messiah, that he's the Savior, that the Old Testament prophets had promised to the Jewish people. And he's going around, he's healing people, he's doing miracles, he's doing all these signs, and, um, and all these people are following him. Now today, we're going to be jumping into chapter 6 of John, and uh, things get complicated, and things get complicated fast, okay? So I'm going to have to have you guys, like, you guys got to keep up with me today. Uh, we're going to be going through the longest chapter in all of John, it is 71 verses. It is a bear, um, which means this is about to be the greatest three hours of your week, okay? So let's just say that. Um, but it's, it's, such, it's just so good. We're going to go through the entire chapter. I've never attempted this. Well, I guess last service. I've attempted this once in my life, and I'm going to try it again. So uh, it's going to get a little crazy, but, uh, but it's God's word, so you know it's good. Um, what John does here in chapter 6 is as he begins, he picks up about a year later. Okay, so it's been about a year in between chapter 5 and chapter 6. If you want to know more about what happens during that year, during Jesus' ministry, well, you could go read Matthew, you could go read Mark, you could go read Luke, okay? They talk about some of that stuff. In fact, I would encourage you, you should go read your Bible and, uh, and do that. It's super interesting stuff. But John picks up here, and what we find out from the other um, accounts, Matthew's account and Mark's account mainly, is that uh, the disciples at this point in time, they have just gotten back from traveling throughout the region. And what Jesus had had them do is Jesus went to his disciples uh, just months before this, and he says, what I want you guys to do, I want you guys to go out by, in pairs, so two by two, and you guys are going to go and tell all the towns and all the villages and all the people that you come in contact with, I want you to tell them about who I am and, and what I'm doing here. And Jesus even gave them the ability to like heal people and just do all this stuff. And so they're out doing these signs. They're telling everybody about Jesus. And it's been a long few weeks. And they finally get back. They meet back in their kind of home base town called Capernaum. And uh, Capernaum's this fishing village just on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. And everybody's there. They haven't seen each other for weeks. Uh, everybody's tired. The Bible tells us everybody is hungry, and it's just, it's just been a long few weeks where they are just worn out. You ever feel like that sometimes? Okay. Not that much because you guys have had more sleep first service. Everybody's like, yeah. Okay. But that's because they woke up earlier than you, apparently. Um, but yeah, like, like they're just worn out. Like they just need a break. Not only that, but check this out. Matthew, who's also a disciple, who's also there along with John, he writes in his account, he says, oh, and by the way, that's the time when we all kind of met back together that we all found out that uh, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, has been beheaded by the government. And so um, we find that out as well. And when they hear that and they all get back together, everybody's worn out, everybody needs a break. Uh, Jesus decides to take his disciples to the other side of the lake where there are no villages, where there are no towns, where there are no people to relax and to take a break. And so they get into a boat. They're going to cross the big lake. It says Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee in a huge crowd was following him. Now the question is, why are these people following him? Are they following him because they have all this faith in Jesus, that he is the Messiah, that he's the Savior, that he's going to, you know, fix their sin problem? No. All right, they followed him because they saw the signs that he was performing 
by healing the sick. So these people, they're following him because they see Jesus' tricks. You know, that's all they are to, to them. And, they, and that's what they want to see. They want to they see more of these tricks. In fact, Mark tells us that there's this huge crowd from Capernaum. And again, Jesus, he's going to the other side of the lake to avoid people, to, to take a break and for his disciples to take a break. This huge crowd, Mark tells us, ran around the lake to the other side and actually got there before Jesus and the disciples actually came to shore. So picture this. Jesus and his disciples, they're trying to get away from all these people. They're trying to relax here. They're trying to take a break. And when they get to the other shore, which is, by the way, in the middle of nowhere, there's already a huge crowd of people waiting for him. Like, okay, hey, Jesus, hey, nice to see you again. And they get there, and they just want to see more of Jesus' tricks. Now, um, I don't know about you. For me, as a youth pastor for the last decade or so, um, we've had a lot of kids over, so meaning like high school kids and college kids, and we've had a lot of people over to our house, Kate and I. And sometimes, you know, like once in a while, it's late, and, uh, and I'm tired, and I'm hungry, you know, and I'm just like, and you got high school girls, they just talk, 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 and you're just like, dude, when are these people going to leave my house? You ever feel like that? Any of you guys ever go through that? All right? With, with anybody? The in-laws, uh, you know, whoever it might be, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, yeah, I'm not the only terrible person um, out there. But, uh, but yeah, it's like, when are these people going to leave? And, and it, like, we felt that before. We felt that feeling. And now nobody's never, never going to want to come over to our house, which is what it is, I guess. I don't know. I had people after service, last service, they were like, I was trying to think how many times we've been there late at your house. And I'm like, it's not you, okay? <laughs> well, actually, that one time, no, I didn't that's how Jesus and his disciples feel. You know, they're just like, oh, we're kind of worn out. We could just use a little break. And they don't get one. And they just can't seem to get away. In fact, Mark tells us um, that when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he had <sighs> compassion on them. He sees them. He probably takes a breath. And he sees them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. And then he began to teach them many things. So he goes, he sits down. He starts teaching this huge crowd. And there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people here. And these people had walked such a long distance to hear him. And, uh, and, he, and he teaches and teaches and teaches until it's getting like super late at night. And so Jesus, they haven't eaten anything all day. They're already tired. They're already hungry. The people are tired. They're hungry. They've traveled from a large distance. And the, the crowd just keeps growing and growing and growing and growing. And so Jesus, and it's getting late. And so Jesus turns to his disciples, and specifically one of his disciples named Philip. And he says, hey, Philip, I a question for you. Where are, will we buy bread? So these people... Can eat. He's like, hey, Philip, you're from around here. Philip actually lived um, in a town within that area, within that region. And he's like, hey, you know, you know where all the best restaurants are. Can you just point us in the right direction? We got to feed these people. There's a whole bunch of people here. And when Jesus is asking this question of Philip, all right, he's, he's not looking for ideas. What he's doing is he's asking Philip this to test him. For Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Jesus, all he's doing is he's like, he's just testing Philip. And, and as I was reading this this week, I'm like, man, this just seems unfair. Like, he was just, like, how many times have we read through the, you know, through the Gospels or one of these accounts of Jesus' life where Jesus, he's trying to explain something to the disciples, and he's just like, dude, are you serious? Like, you don't get it yet? Like, come on, guys, what's going on here? Like, Jesus is already God, and the disciples are like us, like, they're, they're dumb, you know what I mean? Like, compared to God, and here's Jesus, he's asking trick questions now. 
Like he's trying, he, here he is like setting them up. By the way, can I just point out one thing? Some of you guys, you need to hear this. Um, God is allowed to test you. You realize that? None of us like it. Right? It's not something we look forward to necessarily. But God is allowed to test you. See, sometimes God allows you to go through stuff in life that is just a test. The Bible talks about this. In fact, you know what the Bible says? Uh, in the book of James, which is Jesus' brother, Je- he says that um, when God tests you, it's so good for God. No. He says it's so good, guess what, for you and me when God tests us. See, it shows us in the areas that we're weak in. It helps us develop things that we really, really love to work on developing, you know, like patience, endurance. Some of you guys need a little grit, you know, it's just like, you know, to get through. It, it, helps, us, it helps us grow our faith. That's what the Bible tells us. And Jesus, he's a lot of tests, and that's what, that's what God does sometimes, and that's what Jesus is doing here. And so when Jesus poses this question to Philip, Philip's just like, what? Are you kidding me? Jesus is like, look around, man. Um, there's nothing. There's no town in sight. There's nothing in sight. It's all just grass, as far as you can see. Grass and hills and and look at all these people. Like, there's no way we could feed all these people. And Philip, he thinks this through as Jesus is questioning him, and he crunches the numbers, and he comes to the conclusion that, man, this can't be done. In verse 7, he answers him. He says, hey, Jesus, here's the deal. I know, you know, you're not from around here, and, um, but here's the deal. 200 denarii, this is like a few thousand dollars. He's like, worth of bread, that wouldn't even be enough for each of them to have a little. In fact, some translations uh, translate that as, that wouldn't even be enough for each of them just to have a bite. He's like, this can't be done. We don't have enough money. We've pooled all our money together and we went out and bought bread. Where are we going to buy that, by the way? Not here. There's nowhere around. And even if we had the money, we couldn't afford it um, to do that. We wouldn't have enough. He's like, we wouldn't even have enough for everybody to have a bite. And then one of his disciples, this is Andrew, this is Peter's brother, uh, he overhears the conversation. He's like, hey, uh, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. And by the way, which is like poor man's food back then. It was what poor people ate. He says, but what are they? For so many, meaning, what's that going to do? All right, so here you got Philip. He's the number cruncher. He's trying to figure this thing out and, uh, and, and try to figure, you know, what's, what's going on. He's crunching the numbers. But then you got Andrew. Andrew's like a doer. You know, you got, you know, people like that. They're, like, they're just like, all right, I'm going to go get this done. I'm in charge. And he starts, he starts trying to figure this thing out. He starts, like, confiscating lunch boxes, And he's, like, going, like, hey, kid, get over here. You know, what do you got? And, all right, all right. I got, I got a little bit. And so he starts confiscating all this stuff. And he comes to the same conclusion. Can't be done. And maybe he even comes and he brings this lunch. He's like, hey, this kid right here, Jesus, check this out. Hey, kid, stand right here. This is Jesus, by the way. Introduce yourself. Okay, you know. And he's like, check this out. Maybe he's even showing this to Jesus almost as like a joke. Like, how are we going to feed this many people with not, you know, with, with, with no food? And so Jesus, he looks at him. And Jesus got something up his sleeve here. He says, all right, uh, go have the people sit down. In which case, everybody there is probably like, you know, all the disciples are like, oh, he's about to do something. Okay, let's see. Let's see what he does. He says, there, John tells us there's plenty of grass in that place. So they, so they sat down, and the men numbered about 5,000, which means there's probably around 20,000 people if you add in the women and the children that were also there. It says, then Jesus, he took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them uh, to those who were seated. Now, Mark and Matthew 
who were all, Mark may have been there, Matthew definitely was there. Um, what they tell us is that Jesus, he actually um, gives the food to the disciples, and he says, hey, you feed them. So he, he prays for the food, thank you, and then he, he breaks it all up. He gives each of his disciples a, a little handful or maybe a little basketful or something like that. And he's like, all right, I want you guys to go do this. And they start distributing it. And I don't know how this happened. And some of you guys, you grew up in the church, and you know exactly what's about to happen next. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is that story. I don't, like, I can't explain it. I don't know what this looked like. I mean, I just know the disciples, they had a little bit of food in each one, some fish and some bread. And they, like, start handing them out. Like, all right, Jesus, this is going to feed, like, ten people, all right? And so they start handing it out. He's like, you have some now. You can have some. Okay, you want some bread? Oh, you want some fish, too? We got some fish. Oh, yeah, okay, here you go. You know, they're just kind of handing this all out. And they keep, like, it doesn't run out. They keep going. They're like, dude, this is lasting a long time. I could, hey, I could, I could get those hundred over here. And so they, they're passing all this food out, all this bread and all this fish, and uh, and everybody's getting. It. And they, they keep going until everybody has eaten. It says, when they were full, who's they? The disciples? No, this is everybody. This is like all twenty thousand people here. It says, when the twenty thousand people were full, meaning they're not still hungry. We get what full means, right? Have you ever been, gone to a meal, maybe you're at a restaurant or uh, maybe even like somebody's house, which is super awkward, where you, um, you have a meal and you walk away hungry? Did that ever happen? Man, I hate that. It's the worst. You're just like, man, I, I'm supposed to be full after I eat. What's going on here? Um, that's not what's going on here. That's how it is, by the way, every time I go to B-dubs. I feel like I go, you know, I'm like, if I go to a restaurant, I want, like, a lot of food. Maybe I don't get enough portions, but it's too expensive there, so I don't know. Madison Street is more my style. Okay. Anyway, yeah, Tiffin. Okay. Um, not B-dubs. B-dubs, they don't give you enough fries or sides and just all this stuff. Celery, three sticks. That's not going to get it done, man. Okay. That's not what's going on here. Here, everybody's full. All right, everybody's just like, they're all just like, like sitting there on the grass like, dude, I don't think I could eat another bite of that bread. I am so full. I'm about to pop. And, uh, and so they, Jesus, he tells his disciples, say, all right, everybody's full. Everybody's, yeah, we're good. We don't want any more. Okay, all right, you got, yeah, we, thanks, Jesus. He says, so he tells his disciples, he says, hey, um, what I want you guys to do, I want you guys to go collect the leftovers. See, um, I'm all about leftovers. All right, love me some leftovers. Even Jesus was all about the leftovers right here. He's like, so that nothing is wasted. Let's get all the leftovers. Put it into baskets. And so that's what they did. They collected them, and they filled 12 baskets full of food. All right, more than what he even started with. And instantly, probably at this time, when everybody sees the baskets, and, um, and again, there's 20,000 people, so maybe they didn't all see everything that had happened. But I think everybody in this moment realizes that what Jesus had done was miraculous. It was a sign. All right, and not only that, but everybody's starting to realize, hey, and we got to be a part of it, which is pretty awesome. And so everybody is pumped, and they start talking with each other. And this whole crowd, 20,000 people, they decide, you know what we need to do? All right, this Jesus, like, he's already fed us. He's taking care of us. He's doing all these signs. He's healing people. He's feeding us. Like, this is pretty awesome. What we need to do is we need to crown him king. Like, this is what the Old Testament told us was going to happen, where he's going to send a savior. He's going to be our king. We need to go. And they're thinking politically here. They're like, we need to jump down to Jerusalem. We'll crown him as king. He can sit on the throne. We can, you know, we'll, Israel will be back 
back on the map again. We could overthrow Rome, who kind of owned everybody in this world at this time. And that's what they have in their minds. And when Jesus realizes exactly what everybody's thinking, he quickly dismisses the crowd. He tells everybody to go home. And then he tells his disciples, hey, I want you guys to go get back in the boat. And I want you guys to go get out of here. I want you guys to go back to Capernaum on the other side of the lake. And Jesus takes his much well-deserved break. And he walks up, on, up to a mountain alone, and, uh, and he has some alone time up there. Now, at this point, it's night, okay? I mean, it's dark out. And, and the disciples, uh, John tells us, it says they get into the boat. I mean, they're obeying Jesus, right? They're doing just what Jesus had told them to do. And they started across the sea to Capernaum. It says darkness had already set in, but Jesus had not yet come to them, okay? He's up on the mountain doing his thing. It says, then a high wind Arose. Now, we've talked about this a little bit um, in, in, on different Sundays because there's other stories in the Bible that they're on the Sea of Galilee and there's this big, you know, storm that comes up. Um, this had something to do with the geography. So the Sea of Galilee is like 700 feet below sea level. You got mountains all around it. So when the cold air uh, mixes with the warm air in the, on the sea, it produces storms specifically in this place. And so this happened all the time, and this is exactly what happens here. This huge wind that comes up as they're trying to row across to the other side of the lake, and uh, the sea began to churn. This is after they had rowed about three or four miles. So can you picture this, disciples? This is about the, the lake, Sea of Galilee is like eight miles wide, okay? So these guys are like in the middle of the lake at this point. They've rowed out four miles, and, and you know, and again, they're already tired, although they're full, okay? They've had their fill, so they got some food in them, but they're already tired, and, uh, and Jesus, what Mark tells us is that he's standing up on his mountain, and he could over, he's overlooking the big lake, and he could see them out there, and Mark tells us that Jesus sees them struggling, which is kind of funny to me. You would think that Jesus what, this is how we think, because we think Jesus, like, owes us this. We think Jesus is out there to make our lives easier. You know, that's just how we think. Like, you would think Jesus, he'd be standing on the mountain saying, oh, man, they're having a hard time. Remember, they're obeying him. They're just trying to do what he had told them to do. You would think he'd be on the mountains, and he'd just go, shh. Or, oh, yeah, stop. When be still, whatever it might be. But he doesn't do that. He watches them struggling, and he's like, okay. And he... Climbs down the mountain, and he decides, I'm just going to walk to Capernaum myself. Not around the lake like all the people did the first time. He said, I'm just going to walk across the lake. And so he starts off, and Mark tells us that his plan or what he's planning on doing, he's just going to pass him up. So he's, like, almost not even planning on helping him. Like, see, you guys, I'm heading to Capernaum. I told you guys to come. You guys had, like, a three-hour head start. What's going on? He doesn't, you know, and so that's what his plan is. And so they see Jesus walking on the sea, and he's walking towards them. Again, he's coming to pass them up. And he was coming near the boat. And when they see this guy walking on the water four miles, you know, out in the middle of nowhere, they are terrified. They don't know what's going on. They're calling it a ghost. They don't know what the deal is. I mean, they've never seen anything like this before. And this is the point where Matthew tells us, because Matthew's in this boat too, along with John. Uh, Matthew's just like, yeah. And guess what happened? Uh, Jesus comes, and he, you know, we like yell out to him. And he's like, oh, no, guys, don't worry. Don't worry. It's just me. It's me. And when Peter hears this, Peter, he's like, okay, well, if it actually is you, Jesus, then uh, tell me to come out there after you. And Jesus is like, okay. 
All right, not a big deal. Come on out, whatever. And so Peter's like, okay. So he jumps out of the boat, and he's, you know, he's probably a little wobbly because the water's wobbly. And he starts walking on the water towards Jesus, but then he starts realizing exactly what he's doing. He's like, I'm just a dude, and here I am out four miles in the middle of the lake, and the boat, I'm getting farther from the, from the boat, and the waves and the wind, and just, and he's, he's like, and I'm walking on water. Like, this is crazy. And he starts to sink, and Jesus steps out, and he's like, pulls him up. He's like, man, Peter, come on. You got no faith? And Peter and Jesus get back in the boat. And they eventually reach the shore. This is the next day, which is actually later on in the day, because that all happened early in the morning. It's nighttime. This is the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea. They saw that there had been only one boat. So they watched the disciples leaving that boat. And they noticed that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. So they're like, hey, Jesus is around here somewhere. Jesus did not get in that boat. He's like amongst us somewhere. Where is he? You know, so they're all looking for Jesus. And uh, some of the boats from Tiberias, uh, that's a city on, on the edge of the lake. He says they came near the place where Jesus had eaten the, where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks the place where they were. And when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, so they see this boat. Like, picture this. They see this boat coming off in the distance. They're like, oh, here's Jesus and his disciples. Although we didn't see Jesus get in the boat, but maybe he snuck in. We don't see him around here. We don't know what's going on. And say they see this boat getting closer and closer and closer until they can see who's in the boat. And they're like, oh, those aren't the disciples. That's not Jesus. They're not in any of those boats. They're like, they're not there. And so they get into the boats, and they went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea or the lake, uh, they said to him, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? And maybe the better question they should have been asking is, Rabbi, how did you get here? We saw you over here. Now this doesn't make any sense. You didn't take the boat. They didn't know that he had just walked most of the way. And so they asked him that. And Jesus answers. He's like, here's the deal, guys. Truly, I tell you, and this is so key, by the way. This is where we're going to focus in for the rest of our short time here. He says, he says, truly I tell you that you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, not because you understand the miracles that I'm doing, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. See, what Jesus does here, he calls them out. He's like, man, you don't even recognize who I am. You don't know who you're talking to. You don't honestly believe in me, right? You're only here for the food. You're only here for what I can do for you. I mean, we hear this all the time. We, got, I mean, we think this way. This is an issue within us. And if you don't think it's an issue with you, all right, it is. Um, have, I mean, how many times have you ever heard someone say like, yeah, I used to go to church, but I just wasn't getting anything out of it. You heard that before? Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Um, or, hey, I, yeah, I used to serve, but I don't know. It just wasn't, it wasn't doing anything for me. I used to give, but, yeah, I wasn't really getting anything out of that as well. And it's interesting because for some reason we have this idea that going to church is all about us. It's not. Right? For some reason we have this idea that serving and giving, by the way, the definition of serving and giving means it's not all about us. Like, that's literally what it what it means. But for some reason, we think serving and giving is all about us. It's almost like we view God through the lens of what can I get out of him? Like, what, what can I get out of him? And here's what some of us need to understand. Here's what all of us, including myself, this is what we all got to understand. Listen in. It is impossible. It doesn't work. It is impossible to have a real, deep relationship with someone from whom you're always trying to get something from. It just is. 
You know why? Because you always have an agenda. Because every time you're talking to that person, every time you're with that person, every time you're communicating with, it's always about you and your agenda. It's always about what you want. It's just you want something. You want your wants met and you want your needs met. By the way, this is why marriages fail. Okay, this is both sides, right? It's always two sides. It's never just one, right? We make a relationship all about us. It's all about he, he's not doing this or she's not doing that, right? We want what we, you know, we want what we want. We want that support. We want that, you know, we want that financial stability. We want to feel loved. We want that control. We don't want to be lonely. Just all these things. But if we could just understand, like if we just get this, that life is not about us. Like, if we just get that through our, like, thick heads for just a moment, that changes everything. In fact, some of us, I think we're in here, and we're like, yeah, no, no, no. I've been a Christian for a long time. All right, I'm saved. I believe in God. I did the prayer. I did all the stuff. I go to church. Okay, look at me. Um, but some of us, were like, I believe that. But if you could just, like, move that from your mind to that belief to your heart, if you could, you, you might believe, but if you would allow that to, to change you, that would change everything. It gives you a new perspective on everything that you do, everything that's going on in your life. Like, you will be okay when things are not okay. And so Jesus, what he's doing here to this crowd of people is he's pointing that out. And what he's doing here, hopefully to you this morning and to us this morning, is he's pointing that out, that a lot of times we are in this for us. And he's telling the crowd, he's like, you guys are only in this for you. In the next verse, it says, what can we do? This is what the crowd asks him. They say, well, what can we do to perform the works of God? Basically, um, this is like not a good question. It's an okay question. It's just not a good question. By the way, this is the question that all religious people ask. It's, hey, um, Jesus, okay, cool, I like you, you know, we're all good. Um, what, can, what do I got to do to get to heaven? Okay, can you just give me the list of things that I got to do, like the list of things that I got to work on, um, the list of works that I have to do? Like if you could just do that, um, then everything would be good. Just give me the list. And so Jesus, he tells them as plain as day, he just says, okay, you want your list of things, all right, that, that you got to do to appease me or, you know, to, to go to heaven, I guess. He says this. This is all that you got to do. There's only one thing. He says that you believe in the one that he sent, meaning God. He's basically saying all you got to do is you got to just trust in me. Trust Jesus. That's it. Right? That's all you got to understand. That's all you got to got to do. Like that's the big secret. By the way, that's what we call the really, really good news. See, what's crazy about it, and these people are thinking the same way that I feel like our culture views religion in general. We don't have to fulfill a list of do's and don'ts to get to heaven. Some of us, we've got to understand that. We don't have to put our trust in ourselves to get to heaven. We don't have to put our trust in our good stuff to get to heaven. We don't have to put our trust into our checklist of good things to get to heaven. We don't have to hope like, oh man, I hope I'm going like, you know, I hope my good stuff outweighs my bad stuff because if it does, then I think I'm good. We don't have to, you don't have to think about that. We don't have to, we don't have to put our trust in any of that. The only thing that we could put our trust in is only Jesus. That's it. And it's about what he was going to do, that he took care of our sin debt on the cross 2,000 years ago, which is why he's here. And so Jesus, he alludes to that. He's like, all you got to do is trust in me. Just trust in me. All right? You don't have to worry about checking the boxes. These people, that's just not good enough. Like, it's not for a lot of us. <laughs> These people are like, okay, then, well, okay, okay, Jesus, we hear that. I don't know what that means. But what sign then are you going to give us so that we may see and believe you? In which case, you're reading this, you're like, are you serious right now? These are the dudes. These are the people. 
that Jesus just fed out of like, you know, he fed them all with like a few pieces of fish and some, and some bread. Like these people, th- these people are the ones that have been seeing Jesus like heal all these people like over and over and over again. He's doing all this crazy stuff. And they're like, hey, Jesus, okay, we'll believe in you. Just give us one more sign. What are you going to perform? It's a performance thing for all of them. They're like, so, so, so what are you going to do? We just want to see, just let us see one more trick. And they said, our ancestors, Jesus, they ate manna in the wilderness, just as it is written. They say, he, meaning Moses, gave them bread from heaven to eat. See, what they're doing here is uh, they're bringing something up that happened like 1,500 years before. We read about this in the Old Testament, where God used Moses, this guy, you probably heard of him, to lead the Jewish people out of Egypt. They had been there for like 300 years as slaves, which would be terrible. And so God allows Moses to lead them out, and, um, and whatever God did for these people, you know what it was? You know what they did? Anybody know? Complained. Complained about it over and over and over again. And you read the Exodus story, and you're just like, dude, these people are idiots. You know, like, wow, this is, this is crazy. Um, at one point, they complained about the food. And so God's just like, all right, all right, I'll give you food, all right? Some special food. It's called manna. We don't even know what it was. It was like bread-like stuff that just like rained down from heaven, meaning they woke up in the morning, and it was just all on the ground, okay? And so they just, you didn't have to leave their tent. They're like, Sweet, got me some manna, you know. And so that's what they did. And so God gave them manna. And you know what they did after a while of eating manna? Complained about it. <laughs> They're just like, dude, you're, you're out in the middle of nowhere. God's feeding you. They start complaining about that. By the way, that's what we do. Whatever, whenever we're looking at God, is how is he going to fulfill me or how is he going to fix my life? It is never enough. That's how it is in our lives when we make it all about us. We just want what God could get out of it or what we could get out of it. Out of it. That's what we want. That's exactly how these people, that's what these people do in that, in that story. They just complain about it. That's what we do. It's just never enough. And so these people are saying, hey, Jesus, Moses, they provided the ancestors, our ancestors with manna, like that bread stuff. Can you do that? I've always wanted to taste some manna. All right, well, what's that taste like? Can you, why don't you just whip some up real quick, Jesus? And Jesus responds. He says, he says, truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven. He's like, by the way, I just want to like, correct you real quick. Uh, Moses didn't give you that manna stuff. I did because I'm God. All right, next verse. He says, for the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now here it starts getting a little confusing. It says, then they said, they say, sir, okay, so God's sending bread from heaven, all right? Sir, give us this bread always. We always want this bread. And they're talking physically. And Jesus, what we're going to find out, he's talking spiritually. And so Jesus turns to him. He says, I am the bread. In which case, everybody's standing there just like, huh? What does that mean? All right, that's kind of weird. What we see is this is like a theme in Jesus' ministry. It's like Jesus is saying, hey, okay, you want bread? And they're like, yeah, we want bread. And all right, give us that bread. He's like, I am the bread. Huh? He's like, okay, you want light? They're all like, oh, yeah, we want the light. All right, well, I am the light. Hey, you want to know the way? Oh, yeah, we want to know the way. Okay, guess what? I am the way. You want to know what the truth is? Yeah, we want the truth, Jesus. Well, I am the truth. Or, hey, you want the life? Yeah, we want life. Well, I am the life. He says, I am the door. I'm the shepherd. I'm the vine. He's like, are you want God? They're like, yes, we want God. Well, I am God. That's what he's doing here. He's saying, I am the bread. That's what you want? You want to be satisfied? I can do that. He says, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. By the way, this should sound familiar. This is just like how we talked about a couple weeks ago with the woman at the well. 
And he's talking about, like, she's like, give me some water. You know, I want some water. And she's like, I'll give you living water. And she realizes, okay, we're not talking about real water now. We're talking about something more. That's what Jesus is doing here. He says, but as I told you, you've seen me, man, yet you do not believe. See, when the Jews people heard this, what we find out is they start to grumble about him. It's just like the people back in the, in the story of the Exodus, 1,500 years before their ancestors, just like people do today. But Jesus continues. And actually, you would think, you'd be like, okay, well, that didn't work out so well. He actually gets a little more complicated. Check this out. He says, I am the bread of life. He doubles down here. He says, your ancestors, by the way, uh, funny you mentioned them and you bring them up. They ate the man in the wilderness, and guess what happened to them? They died. Some sign. Okay? They're dead. That didn't, like, satisfy them forever. That was only a temporary thing. He says this, and maybe he's even pointing at himself. He's like, this? He said, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. He says, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. In which case, I think the disciples are sitting there. They're like, whoa, what did he say? Did he say fish or flesh? I think he said flesh. No, he meant fish because we got lots of fish. All right, we got baskets of fish in the boat right there, leftovers. We got them 12 baskets. And, uh, and they're like, okay, well, I don't know what he said, but, you know, he'll, just, he'll, he'll clear it up. And think about it. For the disciples, up until now, everything's going pretty good. You know? The movement's taking place. He's doing all these miracles. He's healing people. He's feeding people. He's drawing big crowds. Everybody wants to see him. I mean, this is like, I mean, things at this point, I mean, for the disciples, they're like, man, this is going really good. But now they're all thinking the same thing. They're all just like, man, here he goes again. He's talking about all this crazy stuff. Like, no one can understand what he actually means. And Jesus, he's teaching some confusing things. And even the crowds, as they're there, they're just like, what? Jesus, what are you saying? What is going on here? All right, and they even start to argue about about it. And in the next verse, it says, at that, John tells us the Jews, they start arguing amongst themselves, saying, how can this man give us flesh to eat? That is weird. That is gross. All right, I came here to see a trick, not to eat nobody. Okay, is basically what these guys are saying. How is this even possible? And at this point, if I were the disciples, you know what I'd be doing? I'd be like, Okay, okay, everybody. Um, we're going to take a brief intermission. All right, hey, Jesus, just, I, got, I got this. All right, we're going to take a brief break. If you guys would, um, you know, Jesus, the Messiah is very tired from, from walking on water last night. And uh, he's very tired from, like, feeding 20,000 of you guys with just a little bit of food. And so if you guys would, you know, go out into the lobby. There's restrooms out there. We got some refreshments. We got some miracle fish and miracle bread from his last miracle all right, that's out there. Feel free to have some, you know, fill up, okay? You know, like, that's what I would think, you know, that's what I would do if I were the disciples. I'd be like, hey, let's get out of here, you know, we got to cut this out. All right, you'd think they would try to stop him because this all sounds weird. You know, you know they're giving him the look. You know what I'm talking about? Husbands, you know what I'm talking about, the look, because your wife is giving you the look when you, when you need to shut up. You know what I mean? You're talking to somebody and she's giving you the look. You're like, okay, I've gone too far. I've said too much. No? You guys are killing me. Okay. All right, my wife's not the only one with the look. Don't even, okay. They're giving him the look. Nothing. Jesus actually doubles down. We're almost done. He says, so Jesus said to him, he says, truly I tell you that unless you eat of the flesh, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood. Now he's talking about drink of blood. Sounds like a cult thing going. He says, you do not have life in yourselves. He says, the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, because my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. And everybody's like, 
what? He says, the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. He says, just as the living Father has sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me. You're like, why do you have to use that phrase? Why going to be like one who takes a little bite or a nibble? No, he's like, the one who feeds on me. He's like animalistic. He's like, that one will live because of me. He says, this isn't the bread that came down from heaven. It's not like the manna, by the way, remember that your ancestors ate and remember they died. He says, the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. Now the question is, and the whole crowd's wondering this, what the heck is Jesus talking about? You know, what's he, what's he talking about? Like, we have to eat him? And obviously the answer to that question is no, not physically. Like, just like when he's, again, talking with the woman at the well a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about living water, and she's like, give me some of that living water. You know, he wasn't talking about physical water, and here he's not talking about him eating himself physically, which, you know, like uh, Catholicism would use this passage passage to say, hey, you know, that's what this means is like, you know, when we take communion, they connect it with communion, which by the way, communion hasn't even happened yet. Jesus hasn't even brought that up. That happens like two years later. And so these really have nothing to do with each other. But, you know, Catholicism would say, well, you know, um, that when you take communion, it like magically turns to Jesus' blood and his body, which is kind of gross if you think about it. But that's not, that's not what he's saying here. What he's doing is something that he often did, and he's talking spiritually, He's talking on a higher level. He's saying, he's trying to get us to understand. And he's already explained it, really. He's saying, all you need is Jesus. You want the bread? I'm the bread. You want to be satisfied? Well, I'm the, you know, that's real bread. That'll satisfy you temporarily. I can satisfy you forever. It's basically Jesus saying, there's something more going on here. You just don't know it yet. Now, I don't know why he chooses to say this in such a confusing way, but he did. Maybe he's doing it to weed out the fakers, all right, to thin the crowd. Maybe he's doing it to test them, um, the people who are in it for the free stuff. He knows those people are eventually going to leave, and that's exactly what happened. It says, therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? How many of you guys have ever read your Bibles and you read it and you're like, I don't understand what I just read? Has that ever happened? You're like, this is hard. So these people, they hear this, they're like, man, I don't know what's going on here. Who can understand this? By the way, can I just point out one thing? God does not owe you an explanation on everything, okay? God doesn't owe you an explanation. And I think that's especially hard for us to understand in our culture. It's like we feel like we deserve an explanation. By the way, you should go read your Bible. I encourage you to do that. You will not find that in here. It's not in here. He doesn't owe you an explanation, Right? We are not saved by understanding everything that Jesus says. You know what we're saved by? We're saved by our faith in what Jesus did. And one day, Jesus knew, and even his disciples don't understand what he's saying. One day, Jesus knew that everybody would get it. Or at least his disciples. This will make total sense. But right now, it's like Jesus is saying, right now, I'm not explaining any of it to you. A few verses later, it says, from that moment, from that moment, many of his disciples turned back. And they no longer accompanied him. Now, let's get real for one moment as we wrap this up. Have you ever felt like walking away from him too? I mean, have you ever felt like walking away from him too? Like, like, like turning your back on him just like these people did? 
Maybe he didn't do what you asked. Maybe you didn't get what you want. Maybe he allowed you to go through something hard. Maybe uh, you didn't understand everything that was in this book. Maybe you didn't have all your questions answered. Maybe you, maybe you even find him kind of inconvenient, like, oh, I got to go do this thing because it's the right thing, you know, that type of thing. Maybe you just don't understand. I mean, like for me, um, if it was me, if I were God, like I would just have a rule, like if you're a Christian, you don't get sick. Like how about that? That sounds pretty good to us, right? Me? Okay. Um, you know, and the people who would get sick, like the people who would get like, let's say cancer, oh, those, like if you murder somebody, you know, you murder somebody, boom, you got cancer and it's just done. You, you know, that's how you go. So don't do that. You know, like that's how I'd do it. If I were God, you know, I'd just make it like that. But God, but God doesn't do it like that. Have, like have you ever asked God, like, God, why don't you heal them? Or God, why don't you take away their addiction? Or God, why don't you let them have a baby? Or God, why don't you fix that relationship? Like those are good people. And I just want to say it's not wrong to ask questions. I don't think those are wrong questions to ask. But do not get mad at God when he doesn't give you what you want and he doesn't answer you the way that you want answered. When we get upset with that, what we're ending up doing is we're, we're thinking just like the crowd did on this day. We're only following for God for what he could do for us. And so Jesus, he turns to his disciples. And he says to the 12, he says, you don't want to go away too, do you? And what I love about this is what Peter says here. I mean, th this, is, this is key. Peter answers, he says, Lord, to whom will we go? He says, you have the words of the eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. He says, to whom will we go? You know, for me and for you, hopefully, like whenever we doubt or whenever we question, whenever we view God, you know, as, as our servant, like he's not doing what I told him to do, we should remember what Peter says here on this day. He basically, God's like, Jesus says, hey, you want to leave? And Peter's like, where would we go? Meaning, what else is there? Like, what other explanation is there? For the deeper questions in life, for why are we here, why we exist, or why did Jesus come, or who Jesus was. Like, what are the, like, like if there's truth, Peter's saying, like if there's truth out there, which I believe there is, he's like, this is it, man. Like, this has got to be it. This has to be the truth. And that's the whole reason why John is writing this down. I, re, I mean, remember at the end of his book, he says, these things that I wrote down so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so we need to remember as we go throughout life and we go through this next week, God is not like a genie in the bottle that we can rub the right way and he do everything that we want. Or he's not a puppet that we get to control. He's God of the universe. And a real relationship with Jesus is where we follow Jesus because, like what Peter says, because he's God. Because he's the truth, he's the way, he's the life, he's the light, because he's the bread. Not because we could get something out of it. Because only he can satisfy forever. Everything else that we chase after, it's all temporary. That's what his disciples realized this day. And that's what really thins the crowd. Are we only after God for what we can get for ourselves? Or are we following God because of who he is? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day.
as we go throughout this week, help us to remember who you are and help us to realize why we follow you. God, we thank you for coming down. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for loving us. You don't owe us that. You don't have to, but you do. We thank you for that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.